When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details. Hello, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily DC. CNN is out with a brand new exclusive national poll this morning showing that at this moment in time, five months before Election Day, Vice President Biden has opened up his widest gap over President Donald Trump. 55% to 41%. The poll also finds a growing majority of Americans feel racism is a big problem in the country today. And more than four in 10 Americans say race relations are extremely important to their vote in November. That's up there with the economy, health care. Today marks two weeks since the death of George Floyd. And protests continued around the nation over the weekend, including the movement to defund and reshape police departments. And that movement is roiling politics today as well. In the face of those sagging numbers, the president is going after his opponent by linking him to those calls for reexamining police funding. He tweeted at him over the weekend, defund the police. I want great and well-paid law enforcement. Today, Joe Biden is meeting with the family of George Floyd and recording a video message for his memorial in Houston. While President Trump holds a law enforcement roundtable at the White House. So joining me now to break down all of this and what it means for the 2020 election is CNN political correspondent Abby Phillip. Abby, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So uh, we'll get to the poll in a second, but I I first want to ask you about this defund the police movement. Moments before we started recording this podcast, Joe Biden's campaign issued a statement stating explicitly that Joe Biden does not support defunding police. He clearly knew that the Trump campaign was coming at him, the president was coming at him and wanted to be clear from the get-go, he was not going to add his name to the defund police hashtag course. What do you make of that? Yeah, and I think he and is where a lot of Democrats are. The vast majority of Democratic office holders that I've seen do not support the defund the police effort. But it is predictable that the Trump campaign would seize on this. I mean, this is the most obvious move for them to go next. And I think that we should, as we report on their efforts to use this in a political way, I think it also needs to be put into the actual context of reality, which is, is this actually happening? And if it is, what does it look like? 
what the Trump campaign wants the public to believe this is, is that Democrats want to strip the whole entire country of police officers, get rid of their pay and their pensions, et cetera, et cetera. That is not what we're talking about, but obviously politics is not really about nuance. And I think that... Um, <laughs> to say the least. To say the least. And But even while that's true, I do think media plays a role in just reporting on what is actually happening in addition to how we report on the messaging. I do think that even though we will talk more about this polling later, I do find it fascinating that what we are seeing is a shift in how the broader public views policing. There is in our poll a sense among a majority of Americans, a, a, a big majority of Americans, that policing needs to be looked at. So I do think that while the Trump campaign is going in this direction, there is going to be a need for Republicans and Democrats to grapple with the broader public's desire to look at actual reforms and not just fall back on, you know, what can only be described as a kind of fear-mongering strategy of saying uh, they want to make your communities less safe. I think most Americans actually believe that there need to be some some practical changes made. I'm old enough to remember when some far left-wing Democrats, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez comes to mind, wanted to abolish ICE. And we were led to believe that that was going to be the destruction of the Democratic Party from Republicans. But as I recall, the following election, the Democrats overwhelmingly took the House of Representatives. Call me naive, Abby. I, I don't think this was terribly difficult for Joe Biden to say, no, that, that that's not what I support. You know, he just won a primary where he didn't cave to the left wing pressures on a whole bunch of things. And I think the Republicans thought they got him on this. I, I take your point. Nuance does not really play well in politics. Am I wrong to think that most Americans sort of get the difference here? You know, I think so. It's hard to say sometimes, but I think based on the information that we have right now about where public sentiment is, about the fact that it seems that many Americans are starting to believe that rectifying racial inequities is a top priority for them, it seems that the public actually wants to take a stab at at some of these changes and i and i think that it is a little overly simplistic almost in the same way that that last ditch effort by the president to talk about caravans and defunding ice just did not seem to work i do think that we might be in a similar space right now where it's more important for the american public to feel like their public leaders are addressing inequity americans are less really willing to take some of these uh, messages that are about exploiting fear. I mean, the president is the first to note that uh, crime is at historic lows right now. I don't think that by and large Americans feel like there is this issue of overrun cities and, and towns of crime. I do think that based on the information that we have, many Americans think that now is the time to start addressing what they view as maybe inequities in policing, inequities in the criminal justice system, inequities in economic Economics, and I think that message might be more potent than, you know, base strategy of, of fear-mongering, frankly. You mentioned our poll asked some questions about that. Uh, in general, do you think the country's criminal justice system treats whites and blacks equally, or does it favor whites over blacks? In this poll, two-thirds of the country say that the criminal justice system in the U.S. favors whites over blacks. Only 24% says treats them equally that's a number that we've seen on the rise. By the way, 63% of white people say that. Where do you see the country moving on this? Yeah. You know, this morning I was looking at Twitter and Frank Luntz, who we both know, a Republican pollster, he said, I've never seen a, 
opinion shift this fast or this deeply on this very issue. He he said in his words, this is big. And I and I would agree with that. I mean, these shifts are so dramatic. The view of the public in just the last few years between 2015 and today, a dramatic shift in how people uh, view equity in policing, uh, whether or not people feel like the criminal justice system treats black people fairly, whether or not people believe racism is a big problem in America today. That number that you talked about was is 67% now of Americans who think racism is a big problem in America today. That's compared to 49% in 2015. So dramatic shifts, and I don't think that we know what that's going to do politically. I do get the sense that the president and his political advisors are operating from a playbook of 2015. I think they think that the country is where it was four or five years ago. And I think the polling is starting to show that that's not the case. How far does the country want to go? I think we still don't know. But there's no question that there's an openness today to addressing these issues, to looking at racism in America in a bipartisan fashion that there was not several years ago. And I think that gives Joe Biden, in particular, a lot of room to run. And it also is going to force the president and his campaign to be a little bit more thoughtful about how they approach this, because I don't think that these numbers suggest that they can fall back simply on a law and order message. I just don't think that that is responsive to where the American public is right now. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I also think there's a broader question for the president's team. And again, we are. this is a snapshot of where we are right now. I just don't want our listeners to think that Abby and I are at all suggesting this is where the election is going to be in November. We don't know that yet. But in this snapshot right now, the president is obviously coming through one of the most turbulent times of his presidency, and it's being reflected. Just continuing on the strategy he has employed for the entirety of his presidency, which is to woo the base, is not going to be the way to dig himself out of these numbers, it seems to me. Look at our new poll. He's at 38 percent overall job approval. That's down seven points from last month, Abby. And if you look at by party, among independents, he's down nine points since last month in approval. He Biden's winning independents in here pretty substantially. Trump actually won them last time. But he's not doing anything, it seems to me in his messaging, about trying to win them back. And that, to me, seems to be a huge problem for him. Yeah, I mean, it's this president likes to double down. And as a result, everyone around him must do the same because they have to follow his lead. But... I mean, just look back at the last two weeks. I mean, it has been really disastrous for the president in terms of how he's handled this. And his advisors know that. And yet there has been no attempt to change course. Again, I think that there's a stubbornness about and maybe even a little bit of cynicism, frankly, about how they view the public. There has been in politics this view, and I think it's been borne out in a lot of elections in the 80s and particularly in the early 90s, where you scare um, suburban independents largely in away from certain kinds of uh, democratic policies or democratic politicians. I just wonder, when we look at what is happening in the suburbs in America, where these independents live and what they want and what they want for this country, I don't have an answer to it. But the question is, is that message resonant anymore? I don't know. 
The polling suggests that independents have not been moved by the president threatening to put the military on American streets to restore law and order. They have not been moved by the president calling protesters thugs. They've not been moved by the things that he's been doing over the last two weeks. And I wonder why, but it suggests to me that these messages that maybe used to work with suburban moderates in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, Maybe it's a little bit different now. And we'll be back with more from Abby Phillip. We're back with Abby Phillip here on The Daily DC. One other poll finding I want to go over with you is what I think sort of encapsulates, Abby, where we are in our politics right now in terms of the motivation behind people's votes. So 60% of Biden supporters say that their vote is more a vote against Donald Trump than it is for Joe Biden. Now, this is not unheard of in an incumbent versus a challenger kind of an election, but I think it shows how much the anti-Trump energy is fueling Biden, that he's a vehicle for that, versus Donald Trump supporters, people who support him, 70% in this poll say their vote is about being for Donald Trump, not opposed to Joe Biden, which to me also suggests, you know, Joe Biden's not Hillary Clinton, right? And the loyalty of the Trump support there. I wonder what you make of those numbers, because to me, they really reflect, I think, where our politics are. Yeah, I mean, we've always known that the fervency of the president's base is really strong. They have stuck with him through uh, thick and thin, really, in a way that we've never seen in politics before. The kinds of things that the president has weathered with his base, no other politician would survive. That remains important. I think we're also seeing in our polling that Joe Biden is closing the enthusiasm gap in other ways, where Democrats are starting to say they're very enthusiastic about voting in November, whether that enthusiasm is voting for Joe Biden or against Donald Trump. And, you know, I also think that we are literally seeing that in these protests on the street. It has been amazing to me. I was on the streets of D.C. over the weekend to see what was going on. So many people flooded into the streets because they were so incensed by how President Trump has handled these protests that he actually drew people out of their homes and onto the streets in response to his actions. So it can be a powerful force voting against Trump is not necessarily a bad thing for Joe Biden. I do think that the Biden camp understands they're relying on a lot of people who maybe were Bernie Sanders supporters and and Elizabeth Warren supporters who Biden's not their guy, but they would vote for him over uh, Donald Trump any day. And he's going to need those people to vote for him. I also think to your point, The negatives on Joe Biden are not what the negatives were on Hillary Clinton. So you don't have all of these soft Trump supporters casting their ballot for Trump and against Hillary Clinton like you did in 2016. Right. Ben Carson said this weekend that he thinks we're going to be hearing from the president this week on the topic of race relations. CNN is reporting that a nationwide speech on race from President Trump is under serious consideration. What do you think that would sound like? I think it's going to sound like a lot of vague platitudes, kind of like what we heard last week when he there was a line in his speech in the Rose Garden where he said, every person in America should be treated fairly under the law. We know that. The question has always been for the president, how is he going to make that true? And does he think that that is actually true right now? And I think it is going to be very difficult for this president to exploit 
this law and order message in his speech while also at the same time saying that he actually wants to address racism in America. Those two things are in conflict. The people I speak to who are close to this White House know that there is a battle going on between people like Jared Kushner and others at the Domestic Policy Council who want the president to express a more nuanced view on race and others who speak to him both inside and outside of the administration who say, you've got to abandon that and you've got to go with the law and order message. I really think we need to lower our expectations for some kind of message of unity that's going to be received by the American public as constructive because it's going to be very difficult for it to be matched with actual action. His Justice Department is not interested in that, and the people who represent his base, who speak to him regularly, are also not interested in that. Uh, Very quickly before we go, I wanted to touch on this profile of you and something you said about how normally as a political reporter you look at both sides of an issue, but you say that's not really possible with this issue. Why is that? Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that? You know, I do think it's, you know, when we are talking about this issue, I'm a political reporter, so it's very common for people to put everything in a partisan frame. But what we're talking about here is whether or not the laws in this country, the constitution in this country actually is working the way it is intended. All of the evidence that we have to date on economic issues, on social justice issues, on criminal reform issues, suggests that it is not. And I think that it's important for us to use those facts and apply them to what we're seeing on the ground in a way that does not say that people who deny that systemic racism exists, that that is as valid a viewpoint as people who use all the available data to say that it does exist. And it's almost like how we approach climate change. You know, we don't go around saying that people who deny all available science saying that climate change is happening and it's real, that viewpoint is just as valid as a more factual viewpoint. And I think that we need to think about race in that way. I acknowledge there are a lot of people who want to use race as a wedge issue, but I do think in the year 2020, there needs to be a sense of, first of all, the facts are not on the side of those people who want to deny that racism is a factor in American life. And as reporters, if we're committed to facts, we need to just point that out as much as we can and not treat it as a a partisan food fight. The people who want to make it a partisan food fight want to also deny the experiences of millions of people in this country. And I became a reporter because I was inspired by people who in the 60s looked at what was happening in this country and pointed out that when people were spitting on black kids trying to go to desegregated schools, those people were not good people. And I think that we can have a clear eye view of what we are seeing in this country based on facts and on data that is really overwhelming. And we can and we should point it out and we should push back on efforts to make really what is human rights about politics. Abby, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.